Welcome to Unwrapped, a food service podcast by Sand and Vendo America. An honest, insightful look into the issues, challenges, and trends of our industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Unwrapped, a food service podcast with Sand and Vendo. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and I'm thrilled to be joined in the Market Scale Studios today by Mike Weiser, the president and CEO of Sand and Vendo. Mike, thanks for being here, man. Man, it is always a pleasure. And I got to say, you are killing that sweater game. I, I thought I was going to come in here crushing it myself, but you you won the battle of the sweaters today. I don't, I don't know that I won. That's a, that's a strong <laughs> sweater, Mike. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to declare it a draw at best, a draw at best, but uh, I very much appreciate that. Uh, and we're not alone in the studio because we have David Button, the VP of Operations for San Invendo as well. David, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, I wish I was part of the sweater sweater game here, but... We'll have to get you one for Christmas. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> we'll, we'll put them on the memo for next time for, <laughs> yeah. the, for the sweater party. But uh, today we're exploring the history of a company that has been around for a long time and has been hugely influential in the world of food and beverage. And I've heard David's the, re- the uh, resident historian here, so uh, so we're excited to kind of dive into the history of San Invendo as a company and how everything got started. And the company got its start back in 1937. Uh, Mike, take us back to that time and kind of give us that origin story of how the company came to be. Tell me who founded the company and all that good stuff. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll uh, jump in the, the Wayback Machine and, and travel all the way back to 1937 <laughs> in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, there were a couple of brothers, Elmer and John Pearson. Uh, got together and they were looking at uh, at the Coke uh, coolers that were outside of gas stations that were becoming more and more popular, springing up next to these new things called freeways and highways. And uh, it was a little, uh, a little. Uh, they saw an opportunity uh, for the gas stations to be able to sell beverages mm-hmm. after hours because once the gas station closed down, and, and yes, the gas station closed down at six o'clock so they could go home for dinner, uh, they took all of the Coca-Cola out of the ice chest and out of the coolers and Brought it back inside and locked it up. So uh, the brothers got together and designed a mechanism that would accept a nickel uh, and allow one bottle of, of cola to be pulled out. Fascinating, huh? That's pretty crazy. So that, that's, that's the origin story then is that they closed down the, the convenience stores and that sort of thing. And, you know, people still wanted a Coke after six. Well, yeah, they, they hadn't invented the convenience store back then. Wow. Uh, it was literally just a gas station. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, companies like... Uh, well, Philip Morris, Coca-Cola, uh, they saw an opportunity to be able to market and sell their, their food and beverages and, and cigarettes at gas stations. Uh, and that's what, uh, what they did. They would buy coolers, metal coolers, and uh, fill them up with ice and, and, uh, and sell the, uh, uh, the beverages as they sold gasoline. Unbelievable. That's, yeah. that's really wild. So where did the first kind of product innovation, I, I suppose, take place after that? initial kind of foray into what we know as kind of the the early the first vending machine you know but where, where did it evolve to kind of begin to start looking like what what everybody knows of a vending machine these days well that uh that's amazing though how uh someone just or a few folks just started thinking hey you know what can we do to service the public from a I don't really believe they even called it a vending machine at that time is yeah how do you how do you sell a product or next to a uh, at that time gas station and it's a little bit before my time on that part of it but uh, they they took uh, most likely some type of grid paper and started putting it on pencil mm-hmm. that's incredible how to accept uh, a nickel a shiny nickel 
That's kind of amazing. And you brought up a really interesting point, something I wanted to mention later in the podcast, but since you mentioned it, we might as well talk about it now. That idea that it was serving the needs and the desires of the customer, right? And always kind of keeping that customer focus uh, that, that's at the beginning of the company. I think that's a thread that's probably woven its way through everything that San Invento has done since 1937 when it was founded is always keeping the wants, the needs, and the desires of the customer at the forefront of everything that you do, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's the uh, core of it, of what their uh, what their ideas of it. Yeah, it's it's all customer based. Yeah, I, uh, I I think in a little bit we'll probably get to how our DNA and our experience of of the past has led to some of the uh, the innovations of of today. You know, the 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 first real innovation in vending machines. I, I would probably say, David, correct me if I'm wrong, was refrigeration. Oh, you absolutely. Know? <laughs> Yeah. It, it was uh, it used to be that the refrigeration component of, of what was a vending machine was ice and water and that's what uh, kept it cold and and uh, and then you know it, it evolved into uh, after recognizing the the sales power of unattended retail uh, it evolved into the the larger boxes with the higher capacities and the refrigeration units and standalone placements instead of being uh, at, at just gas stations. And, and I, I find it fascinating how we, we've come full circle, uh, beginning with vending machines that were placed at gas stations or convenience mm -hmm. stores to now uh, servicing the convenience store industry with our, uh, all of our food service equipment in addition to the vending machines that we manufacture. Right. Well, yeah, I, I believe that just uh, started out with maybe, uh, well, actually did with two, two people's ideal and then couple people bought a, a couple bottles of pop back then. <laughs> That's probably an old old word, but a couple people bought it, and all of a sudden it just started branching out from there. Mm -hmm. And it went from, of course, you know, they were building these new things called highways, right. and a lot of lot of families were traveling. And when they're traveling, it was nice to enjoy a, a soft drink or pop at that time. Yeah. Well, it, I hadn't thought about it necessarily until Mike mentioned it, but unattended retail i'm guessing is something that really wasn't something wasn't something that happened really like how I, I can't think of a way that that would have happened before the vending machine or before kind of this this first iteration of things was kind of came about the idea that you could still do business without anybody actually at the Unat store is kind of a, probably yeah. a new thing back then yeah it 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 um it was really un, unheard of uh there was a a program or a concept called honor box uh, in, uh, in the forties and fifties. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what that was, was someone would go to a place of business, drop off basically a picnic basket of, of, you know, food and beverages, and then place a box or a coffee can on the counter and just ask everyone to, uh, use the honor system, uh, that they would leave, you know, the, the correct amount of money for the, the product they took. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, the times they are a changing. <laughs> And uh, the the honor box concept sort of faded out mm -hmm. uh, and was replaced with uh, with vending machines. So after that initial period, then in 1937 came World War II, right? And uh, how did the company kind of evolve and adapt to meet the needs of uh, the military as well as customers and consumers at that time, kind of in that early 40s? Yeah, well, fast forward a little bit, and and um, you know as as there were scrap metal drives and rubber drives and plastic drives, uh, it, raw material to build vending machines became a little bit more difficult to, uh, to source, uh, with the exception of uh, materials needed to mm -hmm. fulfill DOD, uh, Department of Defense contracts. Uh, so we turned to building 
different products like airplane wings. We built airplane wings for the military wow. for uh, a number of years. Uh, we built missile cases in the uh, in the sixties. Aerial antennas. Aerial uh, antennas. Any, yeah. Support uh, the effort. So it's a it, it actually that looks like it just started launching other than vending machines started launching the metal products division as well. Mm -hmm. uh, in within the company of uh, uh, looking at different ways of uh, looking at opportunities in the company. That's really interesting. We uh, we actually take credit for building the first cabinet for a computer uh, for IBM and uh, have built everything from from that to prison windows to yeah, that's human remain <laughs> human that's remain compartments. So I in but well I well look well I guess we're skipping forward there. And, yeah. Because uh, in the 40s, I wasn't around at that time, but uh, I am the second generation of the company, and mm -hmm. my father worked for the company uh, for 48 years. Uh, but it it is a company that, yeah, I built I built prison windows out of California for Texas. Wow. And uh, not just prison windows. We built uh, IBM frames. And the at that time, the newest thing was... Uh, putting a card into a machine and spitting out cash called a Versatile machine. We built the saves for those as well out of the company, along with uh, vending machines. Wow. So we, would it be accurate to say then that World War II and kind of the products that you manufactured kind of helped almost diversify the product offering that, that uh, the Vendo company offered at the time just by, I guess, expanding the range of what you could produce out of, uh, out of these manufacturing facilities? Yeah, I, I would say that that probably was a, a turning point where we as a company uh, started taking the approach that uh, we are uh, not so much a, a vending machine manufacturer. I mean, we are, uh, but we are a high-tech, innovative fabrication company that bends metal and designs refrigeration units mm -hmm. into the shape at that time of, of vending machines. And that's sort of where we started taking the approach to uh, coming to the, the understanding that we need to manufacture what it is our, our customer wants and, and what the market is leading us to, uh, to manufacture, not what we think the, the, the market should have. That's an interesting point. Now, if my, um, if my research has served me well, the 50s was a time then where uh, the market was really leading you in the direction of hey, vending, you know, and the vending machine industry has really taken off. Tell me a little bit more about the 50s and kind of what spurred that growth and how that affected the company. Well, that, that's true. Um, probably the, um, uh, hmm, let me think of a. It literally was started pop. <laughs> it literally started popping. Yeah, yeah. So was it, was it the, the, maybe the accessibility of more soft drinks or people were interested in, in having, you know, Coke products or Dr. Pepper, Pepsi, whatever it was that was available? Welcome to convenience. Yeah, I think point. I think it's probably a the start of back then is uh, convenience and you know going to a gas station not just get gas again we talked about that getting a pot but then it started going into uh, to businesses and factories workers mm -hmm. to add more convenience and accessibility to what they enjoy. Yeah, you, you know I I might suggest that that in the fifties we uh, as a country experienced a almost the second industrial revolution mm. at our fascination with space and automation and, and robots. And um, 
uh, I think it was a, a fascination of, of Americans uh, to be able to have a transaction or purchase something uh, without having a, uh, a clerk or an interaction with someone. It was, it was uh, like dealing with a, a robot, yeah. if you will. And uh, so much so that we saw uh, the, um, uh, the introduction of things called Vindomats. And a Vindomat was an actual place of business uh, that was a, a restaurant uh, that had no waiters. It had no uh, uh, clerk. It had no uh, cashier. It was literally walls of vending machine uh, where uh, preppers would prepare food from the back room, place it into a wall, uh, for the the customer to put in a quarter and open a door and take out a slice of apple pie. So it was, it was a really, really neat time in, in vending. Um, there was a lot of innovation, uh, the ability to take um, uh, coins and, and uh, larger amounts of coins and pay back change. Mm -hmm. uh, simply paying back change was a huge tech, tech, technological uh, innovation for, for vending machines. So the 50s were a, an interesting time. It was... Uh, Actually, uh, in 1956, uh, the Vindo company purchased our biggest competitor, Vindolator, huh. uh, in Fresno, California. Uh, so we then had the Kansas City, Missouri uh, factory, and now the, um, uh, the Fresno, California factory was, uh, was in the 50s. We did that to, uh, uh, to be able to manage the additional business and growth uh, that we experienced in the 50s. That's fascinating. Just that, that period of growth that... Uh expansion of that that desire for convenience like you were speaking to david and then um the 60s kind of saw the evolution of a new product right aluminum cans and so all of a sudden we have uh, a new product that can be dispensed via a vending machine right and so you adjust once again to what the market is desiring as new materials have have come out new products have come out all right new vending machine that's gonna make all this possible right mm-hmm mm -hmm. um you know, that was, that was a, a huge uh, uh, introduction by uh, beverage manufacturers was the, uh, the aluminum can. I mean, think, think about this proposition. Before that, uh, carbonated beverages were poured hot into a glass bottle and then capped and sealed and delivered. It's very heavy. It's very time-consuming. Yeah. And then would ask for those bottles to be returned back so they could wash them and use them again. Uh, and the uh, aluminum can... Uh, was uh, a, a very inexpensive, lightweight, um, uh, disposable way mm -hmm. to uh, to get their beverages to the to the marketplace. But the mechanism that delivers a uh, icy cold bottle of uh, carbonated beverage, and the vin mechanism that delivers a, a twelve ounce can is is quite different. So we had to go back to the drawing board <laughs> and 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 develop you know the the technology and the systems to be able to uh, to do that. Yeah, that's that's the uh, not just in our our business. That's the change of pra uh, packaging as well. Mm -hmm. um, the the um, all the 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 top uh, pop companies they're they're want to be innovative as well. Uh, they want to start pushing the product and and uh, put it out in the market. So to do so, we had to think the same. How can we think about our our customers mm -hmm. and how we can deliver that product to uh, the folks out there that would like it inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, for example, the aluminum can and then a bottle. Uh, that was a bit of a transition for a few folks. They like glass sure. versus can, even though the product inside was the same. But they liked the experience with a cap and bottle. But then 
the convenience of the can, you can just take it with you and go versus mm-hmm. putting the pop bottle in the uh, the little crate where you have to leave it or you get your deposit back on it. Yeah, yeah. That's something that I have I've seen in movies but never actually experienced personally, right? So it was kind of a learning experience of learning how exactly glass bottles, how that worked, because I was a kid that only grew up with, with aluminum cans coming out of it. I'm, I'm kind right? of feeling old right now, Mike. I know, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. No, yeah. That, that, yeah. Was a, that was a learning experience for me. Just like, yeah. Oh, that's how it used to be, huh? That's, yeah. how, that's how it very, was. Very interesting. So when did vending machines, and when did the business kind of expand to the point where there are vending machines inside every school and outside every supermarket and outside every gas station, you know, and, and that sort of thing? When did it go from being something that was simply just at, you know, gas stations to be across, you know, uh, plenty of different industries and a lot of different places that you go. Well, there, there wasn't a lot of new uh, technology or innovation in the, um, in the 60s or 70s. I, I would say that, uh, that those decades uh, is when style points came into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, the, the marketplace wanted something that was aesthetically pleasing and, yeah. and looked like uh, a, a spaceship or a, mm-hmm. a, an airplane wing. Uh, in the '80s uh, is uh, is probably when the the next big wave of um, of vending um, deployment came, and and that was you know the '80s were uh, were a uh, an interesting time for our company. Uh, in 1980 is when we sold the Kansas City uh, facility and merged the two companies into the the Fresno, California facility. Yeah. And then in 1988 is when we were purchased by the Sanding Corporation of Tokyo, Japan. Um, the 80s is also when the advent of electronics uh, was introduced into the vending industry. Uh, before, a vending machine was what we called single price. Uh, it had a series of, of real, uh, metallic relays and vacuum tubes, and it was, it was pretty unintelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the introduction of, of electronics and printed circuit boards, uh, we were able to have multiple price units. Uh, and also introduce uh, devices that could now take paper money, uh, which was huge because as the um, um, you know the decades roll on, the price of beverages uh, increases. We need to be able to accept more money and pay back more change. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the next the next big wave I, I think happened in the in the late eighties. Wouldn't you say, David, when uh, when we introduced electronics into vending? Uh, the volume they wanted to change the whole market out. So the not just volume of producing machines they wanted more volume in the machines as well yeah so they don't have to service them two or three times a day maybe higher capacity higher mm-hmm. capacities and again the paper money become more popular prices gone up sure. so you know not a lot of people have to i don't know what 80s were what 40 cents for 50 cents for a soda mm-hmm. uh now they need uh paper money other than coins a lot of people carrying paper, but then you have to dispense the coins back, whatever the change is. So, uh, just open up to uh, bringing in electronics now. It's not like an old tube TV. It's we have to change. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a really fascinating evolution. Um, it kind of going into the electronics, and I suppose brings in a maybe a different aspect of the business. How did, how was that incorporated into you know the the existing model of how you created vending machines, how did you work in electronics? Did that require the creation of a new division or bringing in you know, new people, new talent, 
people that understood electronics. How how did that work? Kind of all of above, <laughs> every one of them. Check every one of those yeah. boxes. We brought in the, the original two people in 1937. Put a piece of paper in front of them and said, "This is where we're going." But not really. But <laughs> yeah, you had to bring in you had to bring in uh, the talent mm-hmm. to uh, send it off to the next level. And to do so, you have to be ahead of the game. And to do so, bring in the talent, start designing, start testing, have your failures, learn from your failures, and move forward after you repaired or or designed something new. Mm-hmm. Move forward and uh, let's let's introduce it, and then again test it again. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, prob- I'd probably uh, say also too that you know, as as a company, you have to understand and accept what your core competencies are. Yeah. And, um, and we, we understood that we were very good at moving a can or a bottle of something from point A to point B into the customer's hands. Right. We were very good at keeping that icy cold, uh, reliably. Uh, but we also, as a company relied on, on our partners and, and our suppliers, uh, who began to spring up and, and actually, you know, develop the mechanisms, uh, that would accept those payment systems, mm-hmm. um, you know, Back in the '80s, it was a dollar bill, and and today it's it's being able to pay with your cell phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our our role in that is to work with those partners and suppliers, uh, and ensure that there's a, a cohesion uh, between between that piece of technology that makes our vending machine better and and the vending machine. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense, and just maintaining those relationships and keeping that uh, technology fresh and current. I think seems like uh you know a big hallmark of of what you do on a regular basis. So uh you, you mentioned that um that merger uh, in uh, 1988 uh, where the Vendo company merged with Sandin Corporation of Japan. Talk a little bit about what that meant for the company and kind of the the impact of that merger and what that freed the company up to do at that point. Well, the the Sandin Corporation of Japan uh is not unlike the Vindo, uh, the Vindo company of, of 1988 that it purchased, now Sand and Vindo America. Um, you know, that, that company started out, uh, and, and that company invented uh, the battery, the generator-operated light bulb uh, that would go on to a bicycle. It was Sankyo Dinky, uh, and uh, they took credit for inventing the world's first generator-powered bicycle lamp. Uh, and since that time, they've evolved into uh, many different uh, industries and, and divisions um, and um, uh, really proliferated the development of consumer electronics, uh, consumer uh, retail goods, mm-hmm. uh, refrigerators, washing machines, dryers, and, and those line of products until the 1970s uh, when they were introduced to the 7-Eleven Corporation. Uh, then when they purchased us in, in 1988, that opened up a, just a, a, a wealth of engineering prowess, uh, of global manufacturing sites, Mm -hmm. uh, of Japan innovation. Uh, and it it just really opened, opened the doors for us, not just, um, uh, from a technological point of view, but from a marketplace point of view. And that's when we began to diversify uh, our offerings from just being a vending machine company to looking at ourselves as a total solution food service company. We like to think of ourselves, we, we make the products that make other people's food and beverage look good and sell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David, so talk, talk to me a little bit about then that, um, 
I suppose that foray then into a different avenue of things where it's it's about that presentation of food and products and that sort of thing and um the business is a little bit more diversified a little bit more diversity in terms of products what was that like on your end well uh just think about it uh one we have to know what our customer wants mm -hmm. and what would they like and if you're not asking your customer you're not progressing so what what is it out there what's in the market what are they looking at what would they like in uh our products yeah and we have uh, involved not into just a vending company, like Mike says, we're a food solution. That opens up to everything. Mm -hmm. But we're also, everything's refrigerated and also hot. So if you want to purchase something like a pizza or, uh, or a sandwich or something, you can either have it ambient or hot or cold. Yeah. So we're, we've revolved into that, not just a, a vending company. And um, but we're still we still produce and and we have a uh, a good line, but we're just revolving, and mm -hmm. that's what we need to do. As to 1988, when we were uh, procured by Sandin, it brought in uh, one. We were in California, and it brought in a lot of uh, expertise in manufacturing, mm -hmm. how to manufacture. Yeah. And not that we didn't know how to manufacture, but it opened our eyes into different ways of manufacturing. Sure. And it and that's where we're at today. Uh, but also look at our employees and how we can challenge uh, uh, all of our employees on thinking, uh, like our founders did, and think about how to make uh, our customers happy with good product. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So. Mike, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You've been with San Invento then for 27 years. Is that correct? Uh, oh, 1990, right? 2019 minus 1995 is 24, 24 years. 24, okay, 24 years. years. Math is not my. Uh, I was told there'd be no <laughs> math. That's why I'm a journalist or something so okay so 24 years so you joined in in the in the mid 90s yep. with the company mm -hmm. uh the company merged with uh, the sandin corporation in 1988 so g give me a sense then of, of the 90s tell me a little bit more about that and tell me about when you joined the company what it was like and how it's maybe changed since then wow so i, I yeah i joined the company in, in 1995 as a customer service rep um i was the person uh, at the phone, on the phone, it, taking the orders from uh, from our sales guys, entering them in the system, scheduling them uh, for production. And the 90s were probably the heyday for, for the company. There was a time uh, shortly after I joined the company where our manufacturing facility was producing 600 vending machines a day. Wow. Um, a customer would call and, and ask for a lead time on a truckload of equipment, and it was literally six months out into the future. And, and it was it was a, a very busy time for us. Um, the uh, the beverage uh, makers were were using vending machines like billboards. Uh, they were using them for advertising. Didn't matter uh, if they were uh, returning on their investment. They just wanted to see uh, their their no their logo mm -hmm. uh, everywhere they looked in in a city. So it was a really busy time for us. Um, also changing out fifty years of vending machines as well. Yeah. To uh, bring bring it up to date. Yeah, accommodating those electronics mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, the the new methods and the, and that sort of thing. Yeah, the, the '90s actually saw another package change from, uh, in addition to aluminum cans, was uh, PET bottles and plastic mm -hmm. bottles, mm -hmm. and uh, and so once again we we found ourselves 
uh, scrambling to uh, design and develop uh, new new technology and new dispensing mechanisms that would uh, accommodate for uh, the size and shape of, of a PET plastic bottle. I think uh, a lot of our bottlers were exploring different packaging as well. A lot of uh, thinking of different ways to package their product to make it look uh, pleasing to the uh, consumer. Sure. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of different bottle styles or can styles or uh, twelve ounce and sixteen yeah. ounce and yeah the marketing the marketing really? departments of of uh, beverage companies that design and develop the packaging really don't uh, a lot of times think about all the different applications or how these packages are are sold and it's not just on on a store shelf but it's you know mechanized through a, a dispensing system. Uh, and so it's it's up to us to figure out the the ways and solutions to to meet the demands of uh, of the marketing departments of the of the beverage companies. That's interesting because now that I think about it, um, with I, I suppose as things have gone along, you see more and more vending machines that are capable of dispensing any size, not any size, but multiple different sizes materials. Right, you've got the you know taller cans or you know bottles or regular size cans and that sort of thing. So you've started to see machines that can handle multiple different types, right? And that, that kind of being a, a later innovation. Yeah, just not just not uh, U.S. Yeah. We're talking globally. Yeah, um, good point. Yeah, so globally, there's different packaging mm-hmm. all over the world. So think, think about all those different packages. Uh, and our company's test protocol is, uh, less, is to be less than one failure in 10,000 VINs. That means we have to test VIN something 10,000 times Every time there's a new or, or different package, uh, and we have to fail less than once uh, in that 10,000 times for us to be able to say, don't worry, you can count on us, we can, we can bend that package. It's not your credit card that they're swiping 10,000 times. <laughs> Mike, I need the card, got to do 10,000 tests, uh, buy, buy a round of Dr. Peppers for the boys. <laughs> no, not my card. <laughs> David's then. All yeah. right. Uh, so when, when did the company move to Dallas then? When did that happen? Well, in uh, in the early two thousands, we we understood that that level of volume that we experienced in the nineties wasn't really sustainable, mm-hmm. and we knew that while things were good, uh, we needed to put a couple of nuts away for the winter, and uh, it was a little bit difficult, or a little bit challenging, being located all the way on the west coast with regards to transportation and shipping costs and receiving raw materials, and still being competitive to ship your products out. Uh, across the country, uh, and we had a uh, a sister company, a Sandin Automotive Corporation company, that was based here in Dallas. That was building a brand new facility uh, in little old Wiley, Texas, <laughs> and uh, their existing uh, factory in Dallas was was going to be available. Uh, so we decided that it would be wise if we uh, began to evaluate the benefits of uh, of moving to Texas and doing business in the great state of Texas. Uh, being centrally located, uh, being within a half day's travel to uh, the port of Houston uh, for our international exports. And uh, I, I think the uh, conclusion was, was came to fairly unanimously, I, I would imagine, uh, to, uh, to move the company and its manufacturing facilities to da- uh, Dallas in 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was a task because we had to still service our customers. Right. So physically move a... 400,000 square building to Dallas, Texas was a task, mm-hmm. but still not interrupt 
our our service to our our customers. That's a really good point. Yeah, that was uh that was a chat. Now I'm from I'm from Fresno, California. From uh, so I was born and raised there. So I made I made the the leap as well mm-hmm. to come to Texas. Love it here. Uh, so does my wife. But it just essentially located us to any time in the shipping lanes. We're right in the middle of the state. We can go to New York. We can go to Oregon, Washington State, California, to to you know to wherever we need to go. Yeah, look centrally located in the middle of the state. Yeah, and uh, you wanted a little bit more uh, unpredictability in your weather. So uh, come to come to Dallas. I haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> I haven't figured it out. All I know, do I put my shorts away or do I leave my long pants on? I haven't figured that one uh, out so yet. Sixteen years, uh, you just yeah. you never you never put the shorts away and keep a sweater handy, and you know you'll you, you figure it out eventually. Um, so it it really feels like just having this conversation that one of the common threads that you can kind of pull throughout the entire history of the company is just that constant innovation and adapting to what the latest things are, what the latest uh, trends are, and adapting the company to that, to be able to to accommodate those those trends and those desires of the customer. Um, as we kind of come up to modern times, what have been the, the latest innovations? You mentioned, you know, paying for, you know, vending machines with a, uh, you know, with your cell phone. Um, and you mentioned uh, just kind of presenting food, in, you know, either hot or cold in, you know, a, a convenience store type setting. What have been kind of the modern innovations that the company has really hung its hat on over the last several years. I think Michael uh, uh, expand on that. But mm-hmm. what I enjoyed about, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just kind of an old guy here, but <laughs> not really, but, you know, putting coins in. But when I actually first time used my cell phone, yeah, and I went up there and I, I bought a product out of our machine for, for my, either our food service or a machine, I just put my phone up there, put my thumbprint, I was done. Yeah, I thought that was the coolest thing. So I can't imagine... Back in 1937, 38, when someone put a, a coin into something, what they imagined, I, I it was such a thrill. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just a beginning, though, yeah. for us. Really? Oh, yeah. Just wait. <laughs> Mike, uh, what, what's kind of been the, the thing that stood out to you over the last uh, maybe 15 years or so that you think um, this is really where, where the company has kind of hung its hat over the last uh, couple of years? You know, I, I would probably have to say that the the biggest innovation to our industry now is probably been uh, this catch-all phrase called IOT, the Internet of Things. Um, it has just completely changed the landscape of what convenience means. And mm-hmm. and I've said this before on on the show. You know, our industry is an industry of convenience. Yep. A vending machine uh, is simply a way for a company to get their product closer to their consumers. And in doing so, provide a convenience to those consumers uh, that makes it easier to get those products. And now you've got cell phones and Amazon and and 7-Eleven Now app. Yeah. And I can go on my phone, Tyler, and in 10 minutes, I can have us delivered a pizza, uh, a Slurpee, uh, probably um, a bag of chips, whatever it is that, that you might be looking for. And we have to understand how that relates to what it is we do and what it is we build. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to see our industry, our uh, industry of convenience, start to migrate, not necessarily away from that 20-ounce bottle of, of icy cold beverage and bag of chips, but incorporate new products that one doesn't typically 
uh, think of as going into a vending machine. It doesn't take much more than a trip to DFW to see uh, machines that are dispensing uh, $100 ear pods yeah. or $20 yeah. uh, charging cords and charging stations. So now our, our task, our challenge, is to try and identify what is those things, those items that we need to bring closer to the consumers and how do we automate the way that that purchase or that transaction uh, is taking place? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's probably the 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 biggest challenge and and innovation in our in our industry right now is is understanding what it means to be convenient, uh, understanding uh, what the consumers want uh, and are looking for and need immediately, and can't even wait that fifteen minutes to have it delivered from their app. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a really good point, you know, and one of the conversations we've had quite a bit recently is that it's, it's, it's all about the experience these days, the experience economy, and people want to, in convenience stores and retail locations, provide, you know, a one-of-a-kind positive experience for people that go there, and with your products and with what you're, you're doing, you're enabling people to provide those experiences, right, and so you're constantly thinking through, okay, what's the, you know, what's the latest thing and how can we ensure that when people you know, interact with these products that they have a positive experience, right? And so you're, you're constantly testing and, and, and thinking through, I, I'm guessing, those, those, types, of, those types of questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're, we're currently working on, uh, on a, new, uh, a new technology called the, the multi-module machine, the MMV. And this machine deploys several different vending mechanisms within the same cabinet mm-hmm. uh, and all of the mechanisms are interchangeable so you can utilize a conveyor belt system to roll out uh, an iPod uh, iPad Air uh, or you can use a, a hook system to suspend in midair uh, a cell phone case uh, that's meant to be you know hung on on the peg hook of a, of a shelf store and 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 so we're very excited about um, uh, about what that platform is going to allow us to dispense next. Mm-hmm. It's nothing is foolproof, nothing is 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 um, uh, bulletproof like that. Uh, but this platform allows us to really open up the uh, the ability to dispense just odd, crazy blister pack uh, packaging. Yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, anything that, uh, especially travelers, consumable. Mm-hmm. How many times did I leave something at home that I really needed? I don't. I don't need a pop. I yeah. need. I need. I need my new toothbrush or my Sonic Care. I don't. Whatever you product you're using. Sure. The the products that we need to look at it. You have to be diversified on what you want to want to sell and mm-hmm. what you want to see in the market. But if you have something more universal, like uh, with conveyor belt type uh, for fresh fresh uh, foods. As well, yeah. You know, I I like I like fresh. Um, you know, we want to want to have our appetites for fresh food. Then we we have that as well. But mm-hmm. uh, we have to be innovative. If we're not innovative, then we'll we'll be stuck in 1937. <laughs> yeah, there's but, so many different industries and product lines that lend themselves to that that immediate demand, that immediate yeah uh, fulfillment. Um, ladies Cosmetics, uh, for example, Mary Kay hit me up. Uh, another wonderful Dallas, Texas-based company. There we go. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's what do you what do you do um, uh, as a woman when you when you chip a nail or mm-hmm. 
I'm I'm I shave my head. I'm I'm bald. I have to apply lotion two or three times a day. What do I do when when I you know left the lotion uh, in sure. the car? Um, so cosmetics are are a, a great example. So then think about all the different packaging and lightweight uh, products mm-hmm. and larger products that that need to be uh, dispensed and and placed in uh, in the machine. Absolutely, absolutely. That's you know. Dang it if I didn't forget, you know, the dongle that goes in the cell phone, you know, because they got rid of the every the time, jack. right? I went on three straight trips over like the summer, early fall, where I forgot the stinking dongle, so I couldn't use headphones or whatever. And so at every, you know, airport I was at, I'd have to go buy a new one. And now I have like four somewhere in my house. And I mean, I still lose those, but right, like I, I, I had to buy one every time I went to the airport, which is just, you know, another one of those things, like you mentioned, of, well, let us help you with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Please do, because I will continue to forget it if uh, if history uh, continues to repeat itself. And history of this company seems to suggest that you're gonna you're, you're gonna find that next uh, whatever is coming next. You're gonna hop on it, and uh, you're gonna be a big part of the future moving forward as uh, people continue to need what you provide. Yeah, you know it's it's been a uh, a long history. Um, it's uh, it's been a a great ride. Uh, as we move towards being a, a hundred year company and it's uh it's moving really fast exponentially fast mm-hmm. uh, with each passing decade and and so it's 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 just really cool to be a part of that and and seeing um, uh, what that uh, evolution is is going to look like when when it's my turn to to pass the torch yeah yeah I mean I, I agree with Mike now I've seen some of that because I've thir- I'm pushing 39 years into the company. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot have changed within our company, and and I'm I'm talking back in the '80s. I'm digging it. I'm just digging the how we're the technology is moving us where we're at, yeah. and and keep trying to keep up with it is a tall order because it's just moving so quick, mm-hmm. like uh, podcasting. Yeah, right. Here we are. Here we in are. The studio. You know who, who would have thought? But it it is a it it is. I gotta say with my. Uh, responsibility in our operation i'm having fun i'm still having fun that's awesome i'm just having fun of uh what's coming out uh, and what we can do to service our customers mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. As, as the industry changes from uh vending categories and dispensing categories uh, from beverages to cbd and, and regulated product mm-hmm. uh, we look forward to to the challenge uh, of finding out a way to bring those products closer to the consumers by automation and, and technology. Well, it's going to be an exciting future, and I can't wait to see what you guys do next. And, Tyler, uh, thank you so much, man. It was uh, it was a great time as usual. Yeah, this is uh, this was a lot of fun. So, Mike, David, thank you so much for being here. Today. Oh, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Unwrap the Food Service Podcast. As always, make sure you go subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you get podcasts these days. Uh, And be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode coming out soon. Go listen to the previous episode. But until next time, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.